If uh, you've been tracking with this over the last couple of weeks, or maybe this is your first Sunday with us uh, during Advent, uh, this year we're taking this month of Advent to really focus on the songs that make up this season. And so if you are with us a few weeks ago, I talked about this reality that you actually can't really have this season without the soundtrack that accompanies it. Like you can't watch a Christmas movie without hearing Christmas songs. You, you don't go to a Christmas party without Christmas songs. There's something about the songs, the soundtrack that comes with the season. And what's funny is we talked about that a few weeks ago and people tend to have really strong opinions about the soundtrack for this season. Like you either love it or you hate it, but whether you love it or you hate it, you cannot deny that it is a very real thing. That this season just comes with a soundtrack, and there's probably some reasons, you know, some of those reasons are probably sentimental. Um, some of those are probably just the reality. We live in a capitalistic society, and they're going to tug on all of your heartstrings, and they're going to tie you into Christmas at Grandma so they can sell you an Xbox, you know, like whatever it is, like that's the cynic in me. Like there's some sentimentality that comes with the songs of this season, but what we talked about a few weeks ago is I actually believe in all of it, there's a real sacred root that the reason there's a soundtrack for the season is because you go all the way back to the very first Christmas season. And all through the gospels, as, as Jesus was coming into the world, people all around that historical reality, they're just bursting into song. You've got Simeon, you've got Anna, you have Mary, you have Zachariah. And today we're gonna look at this song that the angels are gonna sing, that they're, that they're gonna declare um, over this reality that, that Jesus has been born. And so, you know, two or three weeks ago when we kicked off the season, one of the questions that I asked you was, hey, what's your favorite Christmas song? And uh, you guys were also kind to answer, or at least you felt the peer pressure to answer. And uh, I never told you my song. And the truth is every year I feel like it changes because every year I'm a different person. You know, you just keep growing. And um, this year the song that's kind of captured my attention is a song that I used to hate because I thought it was so slow and so boring and kind of depressing. It was a song that was written in 1943 um, it was written during World War II, and it was a song that was written from the perspective of a soldier that was longing to get home. And the song was made famous by this guy named Bing Crosby. It's a song called I'll Be Home for Christmas. And I used to hate the song because it's just so slow, and it was so dreary. And then you get to the end of the song, and if you know how the song goes, he says, I want to be home for Christmas, but probably only in my dreams. In other words, I don't know that I'm actually going to make it home. And there's something about this song that has like touched my heart in the midst of this season because I think it's the primal longing of every human being, whether you think you're religious or not, there is something in your soul that longs to be home in the place where you're known, where you're loved, where you're safe, where you're cherished. And yet, if you're really honest, especially in our secular world, a lot of times there's this wrestling question, will I ever actually make it back home? Like, is there anything in me that can actually get back there? And what's interesting is this song, I'll Be Home for Christmas, it's the shortest song, it's the shortest Christmas song ever to top the charts, only 39 words in the whole song. And yet they're, they're pointed, they're weighty, they're, they're so simple a kid can remember them, but it's, it's tough to get down to the bottom of it. And I believe it speaks primarily to that thing that all of us have been hardwired for. And I was thinking about that song this week and kind of longing of the heart and I kept thinking about the song that we're gonna look at this morning out of Luke chapter two because uh, it's the shortest song out of all of the original songs that make up the soundtrack of the original Advent. Only 18 words in this song that the angels are gonna sing. It's a song so simple kids can sing it. It's a song so deep philosophers, historians wrestle to get to the bottom of it. It's really, 
really pointed, really interested. And if we're not careful, it's one of those songs that we'll sing in the background without ever allowing it to come into the foreground of what's happening in our world. And I, I wanna just start this morning by just reflecting. I just invite you to just close your eyes. I'm just gonna read the words of this song out of Luke chapter two over you. And then we're gonna unpack the world to which it was first sung. These are the words of the song out of, out of Luke chapter two. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. I'm just gonna declare it over you one more time. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those upon whom his favor rests. Shortest Advent song ever to top the charts. Shortest song that was sung during the birth of Jesus. And yet it is, it is packed, it is packed with things that will literally not only turn your world upside down, but turn your heart right side up. And here's what I wanna do this morning. I want us to just wrestle with the reality of which this song was sung into. Because the reality in which this song was first declared is, is really significant. You know, I don't know if you know this, but the gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, divinely inspired, spoken from the heart of God, but through the lives of really ordinary people. And there's this guy named Luke that's writing down this reality of what had happened when God had come into the world. And I love Luke's story, just the little bits and pieces we know of Luke. Luke, most historians believe he grew up in a large urban center. Most people think Luke did not grow up in a religious home. Maybe he was skeptic, maybe he just wasn't exposed, maybe he had questions that weren't answered, we don't know. But, but Luke was this highly educated guy from a large, uh, urban center of his day, and he becomes a follower of Jesus hanging out with this guy named the Apostle Paul. And so Luke begins to investigate out all of these claims about this guy named Jesus that supposedly was God in the flesh, that had lived a sinless life, that had died a sinner's death, that had raised from the dead, that had returned to heaven. And Luke was going around investigating, writing down what it was that he was experiencing. And uh, I love, he's the guy that writes down this song, and I just imagine Luke just sitting down with the shepherds, these guys outside of Bethlehem. And he goes, tell me one more time, what were the lyrics to that song? And they're like, bro, you have a medical degree. It's so simple. Like, how do you keep forgetting? Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth on whom his favor rests. And, and Luke was just wrestling with the reality of what this song was being sung into. And I just wanna think about this song this morning kind of in four movements. So if you take notes, I just want us to kind of unpack this in kind of four stanzas. And the first part is this, Luke is gonna make this audacious statement that this really short song was sung into a very real world. That this song was sung into a very real world. And I'm gonna be very cryptic with this on purpose because we have some young kids that are still with us here in the room and I don't wanna destroy Christmas, okay? So um, I, I want you to just listen with me. Um, isn't it true that we as human beings, we sing a lot of songs this season and not all of those songs are rooted in reality. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like that moment where Clark Griswold's sitting at the table and he talks about, you know, hearing the report and, you know, Randy Quaid goes, Are you serious, Clark? Like, you know. Um, Luke is gonna say, hey, like this season's marked with a lot of sentiment. Like you sing a lot of songs that make your heart feel good. 
sing a lot of songs about mythical creatures and reindeer and all sorts of things. And then the very next song on the radio is Silent Night. And if you're not careful, your heart will equate the sentiment of the season with the sacredness of the season, and you won't understand there's a difference. And Luke is gonna go, hey, no, this is sung into a very real world. Luke is gonna say, hey, I'm gonna stake my, my reputation on this. I'll get canceled for this. I'll get killed for this. But what I'm claiming is there was an unmarried teenage virgin girl from a small hick town that received the grace of carrying the Son of God in her womb. And the story did not start once upon a time, but it started here in a very specific place. And that if you allow the sentiment of Christmas to overcome the realness of Christmas, you will miss out on the sacred reality of Christmas. Does that make sense? If this season is just sentimental, if you don't stop and wrestle with what it is that Luke is gonna put in front of us. Now, here's the deal, not all, not all of you believe this. Some of you believe this very deeply. Some of you kind of believe it. Some of you are here and you're pretending to believe because the girl that invited you is hot and you want a second date and you don't want to tell her you don't believe and everybody's in really different spots. But here's the truth. If you're gonna wrestle with the song, you have to at least have the intellectual integrity to wrestle with it on the claims that Luke is making. And Luke is gonna say, hey, this was sung into a very real world. Listen to all the stuff he's just gonna drop on us. Luke chapter two, starting in verse one. It doesn't start once upon a time. This is how it starts. He says, in those days. And then he's gonna get really specific. He's gonna say, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Many people believe that Luke actually grew up in the region of Syria. So he's saying, hey, this took place. Here's what was going on where I lived when this was happening. Verse three, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloth. She placed him in a manger because there's no guest room available for them in the inn or some of your Bibles say the house or just no room for them. And I love what Luke is gonna do. Luke is gonna say, hey, don't allow the sentiment to water down the realness because you'll miss the sacred reality of what it is that actually happened. Because this happened in the real world. And I want you to notice all the things. I mean, we could spend an hour just unpacking that. He's gonna say, this happened in the reality of a historical context. Caesar Augustus, real guy. He goes, this happened during his reign. <laughs> he goes, real time, Real place, historical context, a geopolitical context. He's gonna say, it wasn't just regional, it was multinational. It was the entire Roman Empire. Here's who was on the throne in Syria. Here's who's on the throne over here. He's just saying, hey, this was a geopolitical reality. It was a historical reality. It was a sociological reality. We talked about this a few weeks ago. This is a real teenage girl, not yet married, carrying a baby that she claimed to be God's. Think about how scandalous this would be now, how scandalous it was then. There were sociological implications of what it was that Luke, the medical doctor, he goes, I've searched this thing out. I think she was legit a virgin. I think she gave birth to God's son. That's what he's claiming here. Wild, absurd. Some of you are going, that's what we believe? That's, that's orthodox Christianity. 
crazy, absurd, weird, wild, mysterious. But we have to take it for what it is that he's claiming. He goes, this happened in a real world, historical, geopolitical, sociological, spiritual. If you know your Old Testament, there's this moment where your heart begins to ring in the early verses of Luke chapter two. He goes, hey, this was happening in Bethlehem with Joseph from the line of David in Judea. And you're going, wait a minute, I know these prophecies because for thousands of years, the prophets had been saying the Messiah was gonna be born in this small little hick town of Bethlehem. Which makes it a problem when the angel shows up to Mary and says, hey, you're gonna have a baby because she wasn't in Bethlehem yet. And if you know the Old Testament, you're like, how is she gonna get there? Can this really be the Messiah? And you get to Luke chapter two, and I love this. Luke is gonna say, sit back in awe and watch the way that God moves around the pieces of human history so that every word he's ever spoken can be perfectly fulfilled and that Jesus will be born right where he was supposed to be born at the right time. You may not believe it. You may kind of believe it. You may think this is nuts. But at the very least, wrestle with the, with, 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 the, with the intellectual integrity to say, Luke was not inviting you to mere sentiment. He was saying, no, something sacred happened. And this song, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. This song was written not for the backdrop of some fairy tale story, but it was sung into a very real world. Second movement. It's not just that it was sung into a real world, but that it was sung to very real people. That this song wasn't birthed in a vacuum. This song had an audience. And guys, the audience is part of the message. Here's the absurdity of what Luke is claiming. This happened in a real world moment. Did you notice God rearranged the puzzle pieces of humanity so Jesus could be born in Bethlehem, but it's as though he forgot to reserve a room at the Holiday Inn. Isn't that a great paradox? Hey, I'll use a human leader to call a global census. I forgot to reserve a room. Did he forget to reserve a room or was that literally a divine detail that's a part of the message itself? It's part of the message. And then the song is being sung to, to very real people. And here's the problem. We're so familiar with the story. We lose the reality of what's happening here. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you saw Charlie Brown's Christmas. And you know who this song was sung to? It was not sung to royalty. It wasn't sung to the religious. It wasn't sung to those in high power. Listen to who this song is sung to, these very real people. Look at verse eight. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Guys, shepherds, like we're so used to them. Biblically, none of you have probably ever hung out with a shepherd because you live in Nashville. But biblically, we're like, well, yeah, we know shepherds. We know jack squat about shepherds here in Nashville. <laughs> Guys, shepherds were lowly. They were despised. They were at the bottom of the sociological pecking order. Nobody grew up and wanted to be a shepherd. Nobody invited their dad, the shepherd, to speak at career day at your school. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. It was dangerous. It was low paying. It was so boring that their career has become the thing that we use to tell our kids to fall asleep at night. If, if you can't sleep, what do you do? You count. How much does your job suck? If, what do you do for a career? I do the thing that puts all of the world to sleep that nobody else wants to do. Guys, this is the Christmas declaration. Luke's gonna go, real moment in history to real people. And if you'd pause long enough, you'd go, 
Really, to those people? <laughs> to the shepherds? There were shepherds in a field at night, verse nine, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. When you think of an angel, we're not talking about the dude in It's a Wonderful Life, an old white guy in a gown who's bumbling, showing like, here's how your life can be better. I love the movie, not a great depiction of an angel. When angels would show up in the scripture, full of light, full of glory, full of power, people were terrified. Daniel, the dude 700 years earlier who stood with boldness in the lion's den, when he sees an angel later on in his life, passes out in fear. And I go, the dude that could stand in front of lions fell on his face in fear before angels. These angels burst through the night, these dudes working this dead-end job just trying to stay awake so they don't fall asleep and get in trouble with their boss. An angel shows up and they're terrified as they rightfully would be. And I love the way that it keeps going. Look at verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. So Luke goes, hey, this is a real world moment. It is happening to real people. But before we even get to the song, an angel shows up and he goes, I have a declaration. And they're terrified as you would be. Have you ever had a moment in your life where somebody showed up unexpectedly and they're bringing good news, but just because they were so unexpected, you were scared to death? I remember about 10 years ago, I was sitting in my office. We used to have offices uh, down on Music Row, normal day. I can't even remember what I was doing. But I remember the door opens and all of a sudden, all of my friends start filing in and then my coworkers and then some family members and then the president from the university that I had graduated from a few years earlier and all of these random administrators. And I remember just thinking, oh my goodness, what is going on? Is this an intervention? Am I, am I an addict and don't know it? Like, you know, just like overwhelmed because I didn't see it coming. And I, I don't know how I looked, but apparently I looked pretty startled and they kept saying, hey, this is good, this is good news. And somebody's taking pictures, I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> and they're there with good news. And I love the angel shows up and they're terrified. And he goes, I have good news that will bring great joy for all people. He goes, here's the good news of great joy for all people. He goes, a savior, somebody is coming who will rescue from all pain, all hardship, all sorrow, uh, all, uh, all sin, all shame, all of the stuff that has brought you down into the pits of hell. I am sending someone to save you. He goes, a savior is here, but not just a savior, the Messiah or the Christ. In other words, this is the promised Savior. He's not the, the forerunner. He's not a savior. He's not temporary. He goes, he's coming. He's the Messiah. And he goes, and he's the Lord, he's in charge and he will, he will establish one day an eternal kingdom in which he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And these little shepherds are standing there in front of this glorious, fiery being who is going, hey, I've got good news of great joy for all people. God has broken into the earth. He has broken into the earth and he wanted you to know about it first. Think about that. And here's the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth. And like, excuse me, Mr. Angel, all babies are wrapped in cloth. And he goes, no, but not just wrapped in cloth, lying in a dog bowl. Whoa, that's weird. Guys, think about the absurdity. If Luke was making this up, he would not have made it up this way. If you're making up a story about God breaking into the earth, into the world, into the human story, you would never make it up this way. Just imagine in our world, if the president of the United States had just had a grandson, just imagine this moment. 
and the press had not heard about it. Nobody knew about it. And the baby's born in the middle of the night and the president calls in the uh, secret service. He says, here's what I need you to do. Before the press finds out tomorrow, I need you to go down to, to Pulaski, Tennessee. There's a truck stop. In the truck stop, there's a janitor working the night watch. His name is Edward. I want you to find Edward and I want you to let him know that I've just had a grandkid and before anybody else finds out, I need Edward to know. <laughs> the secret service is like, you sure? Like, I'm sure. Imagine Edward, he's just there cleaning the toilets at the truck stop in Pulaski, Tennessee. Secret Service coming looking for Edward. I guarantee you, he did not think that was good news. He's like, oh man, I thought I paid my taxes. It's confusing. <laughs> Turbo taxes got me. You know, it's like, scared to death. And they come in, they know, hey, hey, great news. Great news. Great news. President had a grandkid, want you to know. Yeah, we're just here to tell you. You serious? Yeah. And we need you to go to Hohenwald, Tennessee because there's an unmarried girl that just had his grandchild and she put him in a dog trough. You go check it out. I promise you, he's like, what kind of brownies did I eat at that party tonight? <laughs> What's going on? Guys, don't let this familiar story lose its sacred, mysterious, absolutely absurd proclamation. The manger is the message. The shepherds are part of the message. Luke's going, real world, real people. And the song is not just sentimentally to encourage you in the backdrop. He goes, this song has real wisdom for real people living in a real world. He goes, this song is filled with real wisdom. Look at verse 13. So all of a sudden there's one angel in the truck stop declaring this to the janitor. And I love this. All of a sudden it says, suddenly a great company. In the original language, some translate this 10,000. Some translate it 10,000 times 10,000. Some translate it 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000. I don't know what the actual number of angels are, but all of a sudden it goes from one scary, fiery angel to tens of thousands of angels. I just want you to imagine the sensory overload. IMAX has nothing on this, full surround, like, oh my goodness, here on in a field. And they begin to sing to these shepherds. They begin to sing this song. And I want you to think how absurd this is because every concert you've ever gone to, you're standing in the crowd with 10,000 people and there's five people up on stage. But the night that Jesus was born, there were 10,000 on the stage and five people in the audience. Just imagine you're at a Send amphitheater and you walk in and you're sitting on the grass. There's like five other people in the grass. You're like, is this the right date? And then 10,000 people walk out on stage. And the angel's just rocking that harp, you know, just like <laughs> blowing the shepherd's faces off, sensory overload. Look at verse 14. And this is what they begin to sing. Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Glory to, like this is the song. We don't know how long they sung it. 18 words over and over and over. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. Guys, we, we live in a world, especially in church, where we say things we don't even know what we're saying. We use words we don't even know what they mean. We say glory. It's like, what, what do you mean glory? <laughs> we're seeing that earlier. Glory, like what's glory mean? Glory, all throughout the scriptures, it's this idea of something that's weighty, important, beautiful, powerful, magnificent. 
something that holds a high position in someone's life. Here's what I want you to notice is in the scripture, glory can be something that you either possess or express. That something can possess glory, like it can be weighty, it can be important, it can be beautiful, it can be magnificent. Glory is something that can be possessed and glory is something that can be expressed, directed. Whether you know this is not human beings, we were not created to carry glory, but you were designed to express it. You are glory machines, whether glory expressing machines, whether you realize it or not. <laughs> it's the reason you love going to a great concert and singing your heart out with 10,000 other people because there is something primally in the depths of your being that wants to express affection, admiration, awe, and attention upon someone or something. This is the reason a dude that's never had a girlfriend, he gets that first girlfriend in college and he shows up on the first date with 12 roses and you're like, it's a bit much. He's a machine designed to express glory, attention, longing, admiration, and affection. Glory can be possessed and glory can be expressed. But here's what I want you to notice is expressing glory is just simply you learning how to give an unrestrained expression of your admiration, of your awe, of your affection. So when you express glory, what are you doing? You're going, I am not restrained in my ability to say that this thing or that person or that is awesome. And so what's happening here in Luke chapter two is the angels show up on earth and they go, hey, we are expressing unrestrained awe and affection and admiration for the reality that the God who created everything would enter the world and would lie in a dog bowl. They go, everything we've ever seen, this is the only thing we wanna look at. Everything we've ever loved, this is the only thing we wanna love is the God who would come this low. They go, what's happening in the highest heaven? They go, a lot of stuff's happening on the earth, lots of geopolitical stuff, what's happening in the highest heaven? is all of heaven is fixated, obsessed, fascinated with the wonder of what God is doing right here in this little stable. And they go, we just don't even know how to express it. It's amazing. Have you ever thought about how hard it is to impress a rich person? Like if I told you tonight, a multi-billionaire is coming to your house and you need to cook dinner to impress them you'd begin to panic. How do you impress somebody that's tasted and seen everything? How do you impress the angels that have been there for thousands and thousands and thousands of years that have seen kingdoms rise and fall, that have seen things created and brought down? How do you impress angels? They go, here's what impresses us, is that God would humble himself and to come into the earth as a baby like this. And they go, glory, glory unrestrained affection, admiration, attention, and awe. And they go, they go, glory in the highest heavens and peace on earth, peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. I think a lot of times in our world, when we think of peace, we think of like sort of a, a cultural, secular, secular version of peace, which basically is all of the bad things are gone from my life. War is gone, noise is gone, you know, the, uh, the uncomfortable relative is gone. Like, you know, so a lot of times in our world, when we think of peace, we think of the absence of something bad. But in the Bible, this idea of peace is not just the absence of all that is bad. It is the presence of someone who is perfect goodness. 
It is both the absence of something and the presence of someone, even better. And he says, something's happening. The angels are declaring in this real world to these very real people in an unexpected moment. This song, glory to God in the highest place and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. That phrase, in whom his favor rests, it's only used one other time in the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. And it's where Jesus says, man, I'm so grateful that the humble and the lowly and the childlike are able to receive the mystery of what God is doing in the world. And so the angels aren't declaring, hey, God is here, so instantly everybody gets peace. That's not what they're declaring. Peace is available to everybody. But peace is only available to those that know how to direct glory. Because here's the truth, when glory goes up, peace rains down. When, when, when glory is directed at God, it doesn't mean all your problems go away, it doesn't mean all of your wishes are fulfilled, but when glory is directed in the appropriate place, this is what Colossians 3 talks about, the reign and the rule of Christ Jesus in his everlasting peace, his shalom, his wholeness, his integration begins to settle in on your life. You know, in the worldly sense, some of you have relatives that are just a nightmare to be around, and every time you're with them at the holidays, you're uncomfortable when they're in the room for a variety of reasons. And when they leave the room or when they leave the house, you begin to breathe a little deeper. That's, that's the first level of peace. Someone bad has left. But the only way that you actually get real peace is if someone better were to come in and to say, I'll stay here forever. I'll make sure the bad never enters back in. I've got you covered. You can rest. And Luke says, here's what's happened. In the real world, to real people, the angels sung this real song. Guys, if you direct, if you've tuned me out, listen to, listen to this. The moment you try to direct glory towards anything or anyone else, peace leaves and chaos and fear ensue. When you direct glory at your career or your hobbies or your sexual conquests or your, your romantic relationships or any of those things, when you give your unrestrained attention, affection, and admiration to anything, to your children, to your spouse, to anything. When you direct that unrestrained attention to anything or anyone else, you become fearful, you become bitter, your soul becomes a world and a kingdom of chaos. And here's the wisdom of the song, a short little song, when glory goes up, peace rains down. When glory goes up, peace rains down. Real world, real people, real wisdom, fourth movement, it's a real invitation. And here's where we'll end. Look at this, verse 15. So when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all of these things. She pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned. Notice what they're doing when they return. And the shepherds returned What's that word? Read out loud with me. Glorifying and praising God for all the things that he had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Real fast, we're gonna land the plane here, receive communion, and end our time glorifying the Lord together. Uh, I want you to notice this. Luke says it happened in a real world. It was sung to real people. It comes with real wisdom. But the song itself gives a real invitation. In other words, you're not designed, you've not been made by God simply to hear the song. The song brings you into something, and I'll just give you four real fast things. It's an invitation to search. Notice what the 
shepherds did in verse 15. Like, I don't know how long the angels stood there rocking their faces off with the harp and that praise chorus. But at some point they quit, the sky went dark, and those guys did not go back to the job. They didn't try to fall asleep. What did they do? They went searching. Guys, and at some point, the Advent story, if this is real, I'm putting all my cards on the table, I think it's absolutely real. <laughs> not just sentimental, I think it's real. But at some point, you have to search it out for yourself. You cannot live on the breadcrumbs of your parents' faith or your girlfriend's faith, or your friend's faith, or your church's faith. Those things can be a great Kickstarter. But at some point, you have to search, did something really happen in a real manger at a point in the real world that absolutely changes everything? The song itself demands that you stop to wrestle with, did this happen? It's an invitation to search. But it's not just an invitation to search, it's an invitation to share. <laughs> so once they go and search it out, they find Jesus, what do they do? These shepherds with no status start banging on people's doors in the middle of the night going, hey, the president showed up at my job told me some great news. We just saw it out in the barn. We want you to come check it out. And at some point, the glory of what they had experienced overrode all of the social fear that they were feeling. And I believe this is one of the litmus tests of what happens when the reality of Advent, not just the sentiment, but the reality of Advent gets all the way into the human soul. You can't keep your mouth shut. We talk about things that we love. When Advent gets all the way in, you just start sharing. It's an invitation to search. It's an invitation to share. It's an invitation to soak up the truth. I love how Mary's described. It says she treasured up all of these things. She pondered these things in her heart. I want you to think about the reality of that for just a moment. She's like, wait, God has filled my womb. The God that is so big, he could use the earth as his footstool. He's climbed into my womb. He's come out into this barn. He's entering into the world. One day he will climb up on a cross. One day he will raise from the dead and he will come back. And she's going, what do I do with this? Guys, I love the sentiment of the season. I love the Christmas parties. I love the gag gifts. I love all the things that we do with family. It's all beautiful. I'm not down on any of it. So hear my heart. But here's the truth. If you don't slow down, you can't soak it in. And if you can't soak it in, you'll be trapped in the sentiment, not the sacred root of what it's actually declaring. I just, want, I just want to challenge you. Say no to some things over the next few weeks. So you can just stop and ponder, oh my goodness. The song, it, it beckons us to search. It beckons us to share. It, it, it beckons us to soak in the reality. And then it invites us to join in the song. I love the way that the shepherds, they go back glorifying, like they saw these angels expressing unrestrained glory, un, unex, unrestrained affection, admiration for what God had just done, and they go back singing it. This is why it drives me crazy to be in a religious gathering where people mumble words about the significance of God. I'm not saying that judgmentally, I just go, there, there's something in us that's, that longs to give glory, <laughs> that longs to just explode with praise and affection and admiration, and something changes when the truth of this story gets all the way in your soul and your life begins to dance in step with the songs of Advent. And all of a sudden, the shepherds didn't just know the song, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Their lives were moving in rhythm. Did you notice they go back to the old job? They don't quit the job and go to overseas missions. They go back to the old job, but they go back to the old job, directing their glory. <laughs> towards the only one that is designed to have it. You know, think about the songs of this season and 
that song, I'll be home for Christmas. It's, I think the longing of the human heart is I wanna be home, I don't know how to get there. And this is where the Advent story really messes you up because Advent is not about you getting home. <laughs> Advent is that God came home to you. Real Advent goes, yeah, bro, you're not getting home this Christmas. You can't do it. You can't overcome the shame. Can't overcome the sins. You can't overcome all the, you can't overcome it. But God can, and he has come to you, and he has been laid down in humility. And only those that are humble enough and lowly enough and slow enough can see it, can understand it, and can drink it in. But when that happens, glory goes up, peace comes down, you go back changed, everything's different. Here's a question I just wanna leave you with as you go to communion this morning. Real simple. Is there any place in your life where you are seeking peace while simultaneously misdirecting your glory? Is there any place this Christmas where you're chasing after peace? You're like, I've sung the songs, I've made the Christmas cookies twice, I've watched the movies, and it doesn't feel like Christmas yet. Where are you seeking peace while simultaneously misdirecting glory? Because the two are connected. And wherever glory is misdirected, peace is elusive. But as glory goes up, peace rains down. So here's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna come to the table. We're gonna receive in humility something as simple as bread and juice. That God became flesh, that he lived, he died, he raised from the dead. We're gonna receive his humility with humility. And we're just gonna go, okay, God, raise our eyes into what it is that heaven's seen. And would you begin to redirect? So we take communion in groups. We encourage you to circle up to share with one another. Where are you seeking peace? Where are you misdirecting glory? Let's stand together and I'll pray over us as we receive communion. Father, I love you. And I just thank you for um, the mystery and from our perspective, the absurdity of your wisdom. We would have never made up this story. And so I thank you for how real it is, how true it is, how good it is. God, would you just lift our hearts, our attention, our affection, our admiration to the reality of your plan this morning. And then God, would you just cover everything else that needs to happen amidst all the circumstances we're facing, all of the places where we don't have peace, all of the places where fear and chaos and bitterness are rivaling up. God, just lift our eyes into the heavenly places and to join into that angel song. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. I love you. Let's receive communion. It's around the room. If you wanna receive prayer, from men and women, we'll be at the Respond Banner. We'd love to pray over you. I love you. Merry Christmas.